0: This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled Attempted Murder, and it comes from 1 Samuel 19, 1 through 24. But before we start our lesson today, WordTalk Inc. could use your support. Playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gift. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648 and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax exempt ministry. Now your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purpose, but 100% of it goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews Thirteen sixteen says do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to god if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson you can do that by going to our podcast website that's radio bible class with no spaces between radio bible class dot podbean dot com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast we're there too just search for wmer radio bible class with no spaces between radio bible class Now, today we pick back up in 1 Samuel in chapter 19, but let me give you a little bit of a history of where we've gone through so that you can understand where we're at today. So Saul was anointed the first king. The people asked for a king so they could be like other nations, and that upset Samuel. But Samuel was told by God, don't worry about that. Give them what they want. Anoint uh, this man and we'll send to you. And so Saul started off with a lot of potential. He was a great king. But over time, he became more dependent on himself. He became impatient with God. He began to do things based on his ability and what he thought was right instead of going to God first. After several times of that happening, eventually he took the point where he even did an offering. He did a sacrificial offering when he was not supposed to. And because of that, through Samuel, God said that your lineage will no longer be king. There'll be a new king, a man after God's own heart. And then we saw that the spirit of the Lord departed Saul. And then we saw where Samuel was told to go get his flask and go anoint one of the sons of Jesse. He went through the whole family, all the boys, none of them were picked by the Lord until he says, is there another son? He said, yeah, oh yeah, we got our, my youngest, he's out watching the sheep. And so he went and got him, brought him back. And that is who the Lord said. This is the one. This is the one that I want to be the next king. So David was anointed and he was to be the next king for the nation of Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that King Saul is no longer king. And so the spirit has departed him and a troublesome spirit came over him. While he is playing music to help calm down Saul, because Saul was in a rage, he had this troublesome spirit over him. And remember that David has slayed Goliath at this point. And the people had said, hey, Saul has killed his thousand, David has killed his ten thousand. And that really angered Saul. And so Saul attempted to kill David twice. Saul took the spear that was in his hand and he threw it at David. But David was able to maneuver and not be killed. That happened twice before David left. And then we saw last week that not only was jealousy and fear the reason why that Saul was trying to kill him, But now he uses manipulation and trickery and he uses flattery. And so he uses his daughters. He offers them in marriage, hoping that the Philistines will kill David instead of him having to do it. And he can keep his hands clean from killing David. But David is blessed by the Lord. And while he's out getting the bride price, a hundred Philistine foreskin, actually he gets 200, he gets twice as many. The Philistines don't kill him. So at this point, Saul has no choice but to give him a call to David. This wretched king continues, though, to position himself with his own bitterness of his heart. He's watching David as he rises, as God blesses him. And, And we finish chapter 18, looking at verse 29, where Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continuously. But yet Saul put him in charge and he continued sending him out to battle, to battle the Philistines. And he would come back with more success than any of the servants of Saul. So his name was highly esteemed. So what we learned was even though he tried to do trickery, even though he tried to lie, even though he tried to murder, God protected David to the point where now Jonathan, his son, was his best friend. His daughter, Michal, was now his wife, and the people loved him because of his bravery and how he fought the Philistines. And with all this blowing up in his face, it is now Saul who is no longer trying to hide it. He wants to flat out kill David. Look at that with me. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 1, and I'm reading out of the ESV. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David, But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul and his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistines. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. Having tried and failed twice to kill David himself, and having failed to have David die at the hands of the Philistine, Saul took a more direct approach. He ordered his son Jonathan and all his servants to kill David. No tricks? No flattery, no trickery, just straight out ordered to kill David. Jonathan told David to hide while he talked to his father to see if he intended to have him murdered on sight. And I would agree with most of the commentators that he was passionate and it hit home while Saul was having a sane moment. He knew Jonathan was right, so the king swore an oath in God's name that David would not be harmed. Jonathan believed his father's vow, and David believed Jonathan. And so David comes back into Saul's court. How do we apply this little section of scripture to us? Well, first, if you're Jonathan, what would you do? Saul's the king, and you're supposed to obey the king. Not only that, but Saul's also your father. You're supposed to obey your father. What do you do when someone in authority over you tells you to do something that is clearly against God's commandment? Commandment number six out of the Ten Commandments is thou shall not commit murder. Yet right here, the king and your father has told him to commit murder. Even though the Bible has been very clear throughout the Bible on that we're supposed to obey authority when it goes against God's word, then we have the right to stand up for God's word and disobey authority. And Jonathan does the right thing. Jonathan obeys the higher authority of God. He obeys God rather than his father or the king. This happened in the New Testament as well. If you go over to the book of Acts, when the disciples were first preaching Jesus's name after Jesus has died and gone back into heaven, the authorities arrest them and they beat them and they tell them that they are not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John say, I don't care what you say. It's not your authority. We must obey God rather than you. Well, you go, Tim, if somebody told me to murder somebody, I wouldn't do it. My point that I want you to get across right this part of the scripture is if someone in authority tells you to do something that goes against God's word, whether it's murder, whether it's the steal, whether it's just to do a sin, to do something that's not right, you are to obey God's word instead of that person. If your boss comes to you and he tells you to lie or he tells you to do something that goes against God's word, maybe hold money back that he plans on you giving to him so he can do something wrong with it, that's not what you're supposed to do. The word is crystal clear that we're to obey God's word and not authority if it goes against God's word. And that's what we see right here in 1 Samuel is that Jonathan refuses. He doesn't blindly follow these orders. As a matter of fact, he makes a stand. He pleads a case. He pleads for David's well-being. I bet some of you listening to me, you would have probably just refused to kill David and just left. But that's not what Jonathan did. No, Jonathan went one step further. You know, he reached out and he warned David of what was going on, and then he goes and pleads his case to the king. That might catch one or two of you by surprise, because Jonathan had more to gain by letting David be killed than protecting him or even being a trusted confidant, being someone that would speak up for him. Jonathan would be the next heir to the throne if David gets taken out of the picture. But that's not what Jonathan does. Jonathan goes the extra step here. He not only refuses to kill David, he also puts himself at risk by confronting Saul. He gives Saul three reasons why he should not kill David. First, David's innocent. We know that. But Saul is jealous and he's mad and he's furious and he's fearful of David. David has been a great benefit to you, Saul. That's the second thing he says to him. And then the third thing he says, Saul, you would be committing a serious sin before the Lord if you do kill him. He's innocent. So Jonathan is persuasive and Saul is convinced, at least for now. And so Saul takes an oath and says, I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to put him to death. Actually, Jonathan does what the book of James tells us to do. In James chapter 5, it tells us that if one of us should wonder from the truth, someone should bring him back and says, remember that whenever your brother sins, go out there and confront him and talk to him and try to bring him back. So as a Christian, you not only need to be reactive, but you need to be proactive. You need to go out and take a stand and you need to help a brother that is sinning and help them come back. Now, remember, make sure you have your life in order first because that's the first thing they're going to point out. Well, that was attempt number one. Look what happens in attempt number two. Look at verses 8 through 10 with me. And there was a war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them down with a great blow, so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in the house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing with the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped by that night." Well, what happens? The Philistines attack again, and David leads the army out, and he is successful. Probably comes back, and they start chanting again. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but Saul gets an evil spirit that comes upon him again. Just as a reminder from the previous lesson, this evil spirit that it says, from the Lord, just means that the Lord allowed the spirit to come. God's not doing something evil here. He's just allowed this evil spirit to go ahead and attack Saul. You might go, Tim, why is he doing that? Well, some commentators say he's doing that to punish Saul for his rebellion. The thing to note here is that David has done nothing wrong. He is not wrong, Saul. He's done nothing wrong in any way here. David is doing Saul good rather than evil. And out on the battlefield, David is winning Saul's battles for him. He's winning against the Philistines. But back home, David's playing the harp now. He's back in his court. And Saul's in that evil mood and what does he do? He tries to pin him to the wall. He tries to kill him. The last time this happened, David stuck around. But not this time. He doesn't give him a second chance. Three times and you're out. Somebody needs to take that spear out of King Saul's hand. But David sneaks out that night. That's what it tells us. So how do we apply this to our life? How does this section of scripture really apply to us? I mean, it's great to know, but how does it apply to us? Well, first of all, we should expect persecution. You know, the Bible tells us that we are going to be persecuted just like Jesus was persecuted. And when we do get persecuted, or when we find out that we're going to face persecution, we need to make sure that we don't avoid persecution by compromising with evil. We should still seek to escape the persecution, just like we saw David do, how David escaped out of here. But we shouldn't try to escape by compromising with the evil. As Christians, we are called to take God's side and stand against evil. This is like the sixth time that Saul's tried to kill David, but he's not through. He's now going to have men follow him home and try to kill him at his house. Look at murder attempt number three. Look at verse 11 with me. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled out and escaped. Michal took an image and laid it on the bed, and put a pillow of goat's hair at the head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He's sick. And then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed and the pillow of goat's hair on its head. Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me? Thus, let my enemy go so that he has escaped. And Michal answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? The first thing I want you to see is that this is going to be David's fugitive years. From here out, David is going to be a fugitive from King Saul because King Saul's not going to give up on trying to kill him. So what we see here in this next attempt is that he runs home. He runs home because he knows that he has to find a place to hide. And Saul sends agents to David's house and he gives them an order to kill him. But because of Michal's deception towards her father, David is allowed to escape. Michal loved David. And she saves the day. McCall was Saul's daughter, and she knew Saul. She grew up with her father, just like your children know you. Your children know things about you that others don't. And she tells David that if you don't get out of here, he's going to kill you. And so she helps him escape. McCall knew it was more than just getting out a window that she had to somehow fool the people, these agents that were coming. So she took and made an image of him by using goat hair and by using some type of uh, image or some good luck charm or something, some idol of some type. She laid there in the bed and then she put hair on it. And so then the people come and they kind of see it. She tells them that he's sick. And so the agents go back to Saul and tell him, well, he's sick in bed. This just shows you how much Saul wanted him killed. He says, bring him to me in the bed that I may kill him. Now this means Saul was not taken by his daughter's deception. Everybody was fooled. This just shows the depth of Saul's hatred for David. He wanted to deliver the death blow himself. And when they find out that this was all a trick, they bring Michal back to Saul. And Saul, look at what he says to his own daughter. Why would you deceive me? Let my enemy go. That tells you how much Saul hated him as well. He calls him his enemy. The very man that has made him look good. The very man that has taken and led the nation of Israel to victory over the Philistines that have brought blessing to the nation of Israel. Saul is so fearful and so jealous and so angry with him that he it calls him his enemy now. So again, how do we apply this to our life? Well, first, we see that Michal, uh, her response is that she stands up to her father. He's very angry with her, but she stands up to him. Well, you might come to me and say, well, Tim, she lied. She said that he was ill, and the Bible tells us we're not supposed to lie. But the same Ten Commandments also say that we shall not commit murder. First, I tell you is we should not bear false witness. We shouldn't lie. That's part of one of the commandments as well. But in the Bible, we see when people's life are at stake, sometimes lying has been used to save a life. In the book of Exodus, the Hebrew midwives, they lied to Pharaoh so that they could save the Hebrew boys that were to be killed when they were delivered. In the book of Joshua, Rahab lied to the Canaanites about the Hebrew spies so that they may be protected and ultimately saved her family. So this really brings up a big moral question. Is it okay to lie in order to save a life? Is it okay to do wrong to achieve greater good? That's a moral question that I really don't have time to go into today. What I will tell you, though, is that we've seen that lying has been used before to save a life. Also remember, though, when you do lie, good or bad, it's still a lie. And when you choose a lesser evil, you still chose evil. And we need to confess that before God. But we did see Michal take steps to protect David. And by doing that, she helped him get on the run. And again, like I told you, this is the fleeing that he will now do until eventually he becomes king. He'll be on the run. And when you run from the king, where do you go? Well, he goes to the only place that he knows that is safe. And even there... King Saul tries to kill him. Look at a murder attempt number four. Look at verse 18 with me real quick. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived in Naoth. And it was told to Saul, behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as the head of them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when it was told to Saul, he sent another group of messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they also prophesied. And then he himself went to Ramah and came to a great well in seconds. And he asked, "'Where is Samuel and David?' And one said, "'Behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah.' And he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And he went, he prophesied, until he came to Naath and Ramah. And he too stripped of his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all day and all night. Thus it is said, "'Is Saul also among the prophets?' When is Saul going to learn that you cannot fight against God? He tried to kill David twice with his own spear. He then tried to marry him off and had the Philistines kill him. That didn't work. Then he tried to order people to kill him. That didn't work. Then he tried to kill him again a third time with his spear. And even as his own daughter, he was going to have him killed at his house. And that doesn't work. And now David flees back to Ramah where Samuel's at. And he tells Samuel what's going on. And Samuel says, just stay with me. God will take care of you. God is sovereign. And that's what we need to learn from this part of the scripture. God will protect us. When things don't look right, when things look like they're against us, when the nation of Israel looked like it's against David because the king is against David, Samuel tells him to stay here and God will protect you because God is sovereign. Well, anyhow, the word gets back to Samuel that he's at Ramah. And so Samuel sends the death squad out there to him. And they are overcome with a spirit of prophecy, which some commentators believe is a power that immobilizes them so they could not harm David. And when he sends the second one, guess what happens? The second party does the same exact thing. So he sends a third party and the same thing happens again. And so Saul finally says, well, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. I'll just go kill him myself. And so Saul heads out to Ramah. Guess what happens to Saul? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he begins to prophesy. And the Bible tells us it made him lay down in front of Samuel, that he lay naked all day. The Bible tells us that it didn't even wait till he got there. The Spirit came upon him and he rips off his clothes and he's prophesying the whole way, to, and then he lays before Samuel all day and night. Even a king could not touch David unless God wanted it to happen. Proverbs 21.30 tells us, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can cede against the Lord. Saul persisted in his evil plans against David, and God stopped him again and again and again. What's the lesson here? Heed God's warning and choose God's side. Choose God's side against evil, not evil side against God. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. Just looking at this passage of scripture, you may look at it and wonder, what can this really apply to me? Well, first of all, we can see that just like Jonathan, we can stand up against evil. We can also watch out for our fellow man, just like we saw Jonathan and McCall do. And we should also try to dissuade others from doing evil. And we saw Jonathan do that as well. But most of all, what I want you to realize today is that when we choose to stand on God's side, that we are going to face persecution. Jesus told us that, that he was persecuted. And if we love him and we stand with him, we will be persecuted. If you're like me, when you hear that word persecution, you probably have a negative feeling about it. I know that I do. I don't want to face persecution, and I'm sure that you don't want to either. But as we study the Bible, we find that there is going to be persecution. And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but God is sovereign over persecution. Maybe you're like David today and someone seems to be picking on you. They hate you for whatever reason. Maybe there's someone in your life that you know is not a Christian, but they always seem to be blessed and everything seems to go their way when things aren't going your way. If you are living your life for God, If you are making a statement for God, living it out before your fellow man, Satan isn't going to like that. He doesn't like the message of the gospel that we live out before others. And unfortunately, he sends people in our path that will harass us while we live out that message. Sometimes God allows this persecution on our life so that it can refine us. It can make us stronger in our faith. And it also can be a witness to those that see the persecution and go, how can they do that? Romans 8:29 tells us that for those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. I tell you that because God uses everything to conform us in his image. That includes persecution that we don't like. But God has an ultimate plan, and he is using persecution that we're going to study about David as he runs and he flees to mold him into the king that he is going to be, to be a man after God's own heart. Don't you want to be like David? Don't you want to be a person after God's own heart? Then don't run from persecution. Make a stand. Stand for the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Some of the very things that have honed my character and my ethics were things that I would never have chosen that came into my life. But God uses that to conform us in his image. God wants to do that so we become more dependent upon him. That's a good thing. I think about Job and the suffering he went through and what it led to a deeper relationship with God. Job had heard a lot about God, but while he was suffering, he experienced God in a personal way. Job became a changed man. He wants you to be totally dependent on Him, and sometimes persecution is that tool. So whatever you're going through today, God is wanting you to be closer to Him. He's allowed it so that you will turn to Him. Turn to Him. He has the answer. He will protect you. He has His promises that He will keep. So today, whatever you're facing, give it to God. Start walking closer with him. Hang on to his coattail. If you will stay in God's word, if you will pray fervently with him, it will build a closer relationship just like it did with Job. Do you believe that God is good all the time and all the time God is good? Because if you do, then you understand that that he has the ultimate purpose and wants something good for you. And everything he does is for the good, even though we may not understand it at that time. Pray and allow God to make you more like Christ each and every day. Pray that God will give you more faith, that you wouldn't doubt him, but you would walk more boldly in him. Will you do that today? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together lord in this part of the scripture sometimes we wonder where is the goodness of god why would god allow someone evil to attack a good man a man after god's own heart and we see time and time again how saul has gone after david lord let us understand that we can sometimes be like david that the world is Saul and he's coming after us and as we make a stand and we do have to make a stand We have to claim your goodness. We have to claim you as Lord of our life. And we have to make a stand for right and not evil. We don't compromise with evil. We don't make agreements with evil. And when that happens, there's going to be jealousy and fear and trickery. All the things that Satan can use will be thrown at us. Lord, let us understand to put on the full armor of God so we can withstand the fiery darts that are thrown at us. Lord, right now, I pray for the one that maybe they've compromised with evil because they didn't want to have to face that persecution. Instead of making a stand, they just compromised with it and said, I'll just make it right later. Lord, I pray right now that they would ask for forgiveness and that, Lord, they'll make a stand. Sooner or later, we have to draw a line in the dirt and make that stand. Lord, I pray for the one that doesn't know you, Lord, right now, that they would just ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, that they would admit they're a sinner. Lord, they would believe on the finished work of the cross and how you overcame death. And Lord, they would confess with their mouth that you are Lord. Lord, they will follow after you. Lord, right now we thank you for all the blessings you give this ministry. Lord, it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.